Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Happy Thanksgiving! In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul exhorted us to, quote, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As Christians, it is our duty to live a sacrificial life of love toward Jesus and others. Do you have a lifestyle of loving Jesus and others in this way? Let's open our Bible now to Ephesians chapter 5 and learn how we can grow to increasingly live a life of Christ-like love. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. <clears throat> it is a, what is it? It's a Tuesday morning here in Texas. And so uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus today, spending time with Jesus. Stephen informed me that this uh, this teaching will go up, um, may go up uh, the evening of before Thanksgiving, may go up early Thanksgiving morning at around 7 a.m. or something. So Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I mean, um, Thanksgiving ought to be a part of all of our lives. Every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ ought to have a lifestyle of Thanksgiving. And when we, you know, when we come to this day, when we come to Thanksgiving Day, um, frankly, for most of us, you know, it, it is. It's just like a it's it's a nice weekend off from work. You know, we we hang out with family and friends. You know what I mean? We eat that turkey. We like that ham. I like all the fixings, the taters, you know, the green beans, um, the casseroles, the buns. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, I'm a cranberry sauce man myself. Um, you know, and then I'm watching football. I mean, it's, but that's not the purpose of the day, you know, the the reason we have Thanksgiving Day is just to have a, a day set aside where we're just where we're, we're actually thankful to Jesus, where we're thankful to our Heavenly Father, where we're thankful, you know, to the Holy Spirit just for the the incredible blessings they have bestowed upon us and continue to bless us with day in and day out. So happy Thanksgiving. Let's make it a day where we are uh, again, where we where we'll go four or five times throughout the day and just just spend some time thanking your Heavenly Father, just thanking Him for who He is. <clears throat> Above all, thanking Him for Jesus, thanking Jesus for becoming a human man for you and thanking for Jesus for dying a, a horrible death for you on your behalf and in your place and uh, thanking Jesus and worshiping Him, the risen Christ. He's raised from the dead. And so let's just... Uh, Let's just be thankful for Thanksgiving. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we, we thank you that we have this holiday of Thanksgiving in our country, Lord, just a day to, to give thanks. Father, I ask you to help us one and all. Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead us, guide us, convict us, just to be thankful we pray for transformed hearts, Lord Jesus, thankful hearts. Again, Holy Spirit, we just we pray that you would help us to have a lifestyle of thanksgiving, that we would certainly be thankful this Thanksgiving day, but uh, that we would begin to have an increasing lifestyle of giving thanks to our Heavenly Father and to the Lord Jesus and to you, Holy Spirit, just for for every blessing of our lives. But above all, we just thank you again for Jesus, Father. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Ephesians. Um, we just thank you for giving us our Bible, the living word of God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And, and uh, again, happy and blessed Thanksgiving. Let's have a, a Christ-filled Thanksgiving day. Okay. All right. Today we're in Ephesians 5, and uh, Lord willing, we'll do verses, I think, 1 through 17. Um, all right. Starting reading in verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. 
and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Wow. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just uh, just good stuff. Again, um, we're, in, we're at Ephesians 5 now. I've said this before. You remember the first three chapters of Ephesians? The, uh, the Apostle Paul was just laying out who we are in Christ, laying out all that's been done for us in Christ, all that our Heavenly Father has accomplished for us in Christ, uh, the unity we have in Christ, that there's no more separation between Jews and Gentiles. We all have equal access to, to our Heavenly Father in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, you know, Paul has some incredible prayers there in the, uh, in the first three chapters, in chapter one and in chapter three, there are incredible prayers that, that each of us as believers really ought to have a lifestyle of consistently praying. I had certainly prayed the prayers in chapters one of Ephesians and chapter three. Um, but through this study, I've been praying them really every day. I've been praying these, uh, you know, uh, these prayers in, in chapter one, um, you know, Paul says in chapter one, he prays that uh, that our heavenly father would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know him better. And that should be our heart to know Jesus better. He prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we would know the hope to which he has called us, that we'd really know the hope we have in Christ, that we know the riches of his glorious inheritance that we have as saints, that, again, that we would really understand all we've inherited in Christ now, and certainly, you know, the inheritance we'll have in heaven, um, and the incomparably great power that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, the resurrection power. And Paul prays that we would know these things, and these are prayers we want to pray. And then in chapter 3, Paul prays that we would be strengthened, right, through the Holy Spirit, by our Heavenly Father, through His Holy Spirit, in our inner being, that our inner being, our inner man, our inner, inner woman would be strengthened. Um, normally, we, we know we're consistently praying for God to strengthen us and help us in, the, in, in all the, the outward physical aspects of our life. But Paul prays that we'd be strengthened in chapter 3 in our, in our inner being by the Holy Spirit. And, and he says, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, right? We don't just want... Jesus to be a passing visitor. You want Jesus to hang out in your heart. You want a lifestyle of growing to know Jesus. Uh, that's why we talk about it every teaching, right, Jason? Are you spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, right? Um, you want Jesus to dwell in your hearts through faith. And then Paul goes on to pray that we would be rooted and established in love so that we would know how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, right? How high, right, and long and wide and deep is the love of Christ. It's the picture of the cross, right? The only way to know how high and long and wide and deep is the love of Christ is to really meditate on the cross and the incredible blessing 
um, of the death of Jesus Christ, that the cross of Christ, right? Just the incredible sacrifice and love that he's shown, shown us there. Um, and Paul finishes it and he says, I, I want, he wants us to know this love that surpasses, that goes back, goes, goes past and deeper than our head knowledge. And it goes deep into our hearts, uh, that we may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Um, and so again, I, uh, I encourage us all just to consistently be praying those prayers in Ephesians one and Ephesians three. Um, and then after he comes out and he moves into chapter four, Paul now is going to explain to us, you know, how we need to live our lives in light of all that we've learned in Ephesians chapter one, uh, chapters one through three, in light of all that Christ has done for us, may, in light of all the incredible blessings, in in light of our election, and our and our heavenly Father choosing us and predestining us, right? Um, you know, how ought we live our lives in light of the incredible love? of the triune God and all that was accomplished in our place and on our behalf by Jesus on the cross and in and through his resurrection, right? Um, and so now we're continuing uh, in chapter five, verses uh, one through 17, as we've already read them, right? So that's where we are, right? So in verse one, Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. How is it, how, how do we imitate God, right? You remember in John chapter 14, um, you know, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, Philip, have you been with me so long? It's like Jesus is hurt a little bit. Philip, have you, have you been with me so long and you don't know me? Don't you know that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? So we don't, grow, we don't grow to know Jesus by growing to know our Father. That's not how it works. We grow to know our Heavenly Father by growing to know Jesus, all right? It's, it's, it, there are a few things more important than this. Our lives are about looking to Jesus, right? Remember the Hebrew writer says, you know, that, uh, that we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Um, and so Jesus said to Philip, when you've seen me, right, Corinne? He's talking to Philip, when you've seen me, you can see me, Philip, and how I live and what I do and my entire manner of life. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Okay, so our lives are about imitating Jesus. Jesus is God. So when it says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, again, we want to imitate our heavenly father. We want to imitate Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. The job of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus. So again, how do we do this? How do we live our lives as imitators of God? We do it by studying the life of Jesus the gospels of Jesus Christ by studying the scriptures, by obeying the scriptures. We do it by spending time with Jesus, as we say every time, Susan, right? Growing to know Jesus rap, growing to spend time with him, Becky, growing to obey him and growing to repent when we fall short. Right, Esther? All right. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. As a child of your heavenly father in Jesus Christ, your desire ought to be to imitate your father. Again, you do that by imitating Jesus, okay? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Verse 2, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is, a, uh, this is an incredible scripture here. So this is how you're an imitator of God. Remember, is to look to Jesus to imitate Jesus, Jesus is God. And Paul says, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So living a life of love is to look at Christ, right? Who loved us and gave himself up for us. And for us to spend our lives, and this is not easy, y'all. 
And, uh, you know, depending on where you are in your walk with Christ, we're all at different places or a different level of maturity in this. And I'll say this for my own life. I have, uh, you know, I, I seem like I have so far to go. But this is what it means, right? Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. To live in love means to increasingly die to ourselves, to increasingly give up our own desires, our own preference, our own wants, right? So that others will be increasingly blessed. Um, we were in Bible study this morning and I said, Jesse, you like a life of ease, don't you? And he said, yes, I do. And I do. I mean, as Christians, we really do like a life of ease and comfort and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So the an example of love and the greatest example, of course, is Christ who gave himself up for us. So how are you living your life today? Lens, how are you living your life, giving up your life on behalf of others? And again, it's, um, you know, and he says, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So when we sacrifice ourselves, it's an offering to Jesus when we sacrifice our time right? When we sacrifice our presence, our, uh, our preference. Um, like, as I said, I'm a man of preference. We all like what we like. When we sacrifice, you know, our own desires and pleasures and ease and comforts to serve Jesus and be a blessing to others is, is really what it means to, to imitate, to imitate God. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself, gave himself up for us. So again, examine yourself. And every one of us ought to look at this and, and just have, be convicted and just, and just see where we need to repent. Right, Junior? Um, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You want to be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, to your heavenly Father, and to Jesus, just as Jesus was. So again, is your life a fragrant offering and sacrifice to Jesus, and to our Heavenly Father, and to the Holy Spirit? I'm going to say, you know, looking at my own life, I, I, I do not believe that it is. Um, at any level, that's, that's I'm going to say, appropriate, right? Meaning, I believe I have substantial growth to walk in this area. There are areas where, you know, there are times and days and where I am doing this and, you know, hopefully I'm doing it more and more and more, but um, I, I just feel very convicted that, you know, there's, there's a lot of room for growth in this particular virtue of, of love and this aspect of giving ourselves up in the service of Christ and to serve and love others and foregoing ease and comfort and pleasures and fun and all the things that I enjoy. Again, there's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself or having hobbies or, you know, or watching a TV show. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, if that's all we do and we don't at all have a life of love, a, a life where we're making sacrifices on behalf of others for the for the name of Christ, then we're, we're out of balance and we need to repent and make judgments and make adjustments, um, which certainly all of us could make greater adjustments in this area. So help us, Holy Spirit. Verse three, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Um, this is a bold statement, right? But among you, there must not be even a hint, Matthew, of sexual immorality, okay? Um, uh, Obviously, the entire world, all right, non-Christians, you know, they, you know, they have no, uh, no conviction over sexual immorality at all. I mean, you know, nobody's hurting everyone. Everyone's just doing what's pleasurable to them, right? But as Christians, the Bible is clear to us, right, that, that we're not to live in impurity, that, that sexual fulfillment is made for marriage, right, between husband and wife is where sexual fulfillment is, is to be uh, enjoyed right? And fulfilled. Um, and so, you know, all other endeavors, right? Pornography, 
uh, fornication. Um, again, fornication is just when you're sexually involved with another person and you're not, you know, you're not married to them. Obviously, adultery when you're involved with someone that is married, right, sexually. And Paul says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual morality. So again, for the majority of the church, I mean, this is an area, you know, of, of repentance. It's something we want to watch. We want to watch closely, right? Um, Paul says of sexual morality, immorality, or of any kind of impurity. It's interesting. And he says, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Why does he put greed in there, right? It's interesting that he says there shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. And he says, or of greed. Isn't it interesting that, uh, you know, because, you know, many of us would look at, you know, as Christians, maybe as, uh, of course, it's wrong to be sexually immoral and sexually impure. But what does greed have to do with it? They are tied somewhat closely. I mean, again, when we're living in a sexually immoral way or a sexually impure way, again, we're just we're greedy, so to speak just to fulfill the, the lusts and desires of our, of our flesh, right? Um, but it's, it's the same with money, right? Um, you know, we, we ought not to be desirous just to, to have more for ourselves and, and just to keep storing up greedily money for ourselves, wanting more for me, more for me, more for me. I mean, what is your lifestyle with money? Right. And again, similarly, are you just wanting more sexual you know, immorality, more impurity? Right. You just want more money and more money and more money. And do you have a lifestyle of giving into the kingdom of God? Do you have a lifestyle of, you know, being a blessing to others? I mean, as Christians, we again, uh, we should not be greedy because these are improper for God's holy people. So, again, um, you know, these two things, struggles with, with sexual impurity, sexual immorality, and, and struggles with being greedy for, for money or for what, you know, for whatever else, right, are, are things, are, are two big things that, that the whole world struggles with. And frankly, the church seemingly struggles with just as much. And so we really want to, uh, to be circumspect. We want to look at our own lives we really want to repent, right, Nathan, where we're just uh, where we're out of balance here. Verse four, no, nor, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And so when it says here, obscenity, foolish talk and coarse joking, it's in this context in, in a sexual way, right? Um, in a sexually impure way, right? So again, in the you know, in in what Paul's saying here, in keeping with the thought, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Now, again, it's fine for us to joke around. It's fine for us to have fun. Humor is given to us of the Lord, but Paul's speaking about here, you know, uh, sexually explicit and obscene, sexually obscene joking, right? Coarse joking or, or crass joking. Um, you know, sexually speaking, right? Um, he says, which are out of place, okay? So again, it's, um, you know, sometimes we can be, you know, we can be a little bit loose as Christians, right? Sometimes I can get caught up in joking and can, you know, step over the line. So again, if you have a habit, and particularly if you have a habit of, of just continually telling sexually explicit jokes, it's out of place for a Christian, and it's, a, and it's an area of repentance, right? Um Paul says what you're out of place, but it's interesting. Look what he says. But rather, Thanksgiving. <laughs> we, 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 we were speaking about Thanksgiving and we're celebrating Thanksgiving, right? It's an interesting verse. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather Thanksgiving. So when you're about when you're about to tell that, you know, that coarse, you know, sexual joke, right? That, uh, you know, just that that obscene joke, right? That that improper joke, that crass sexual joke. Instead of doing that, okay, let's not tell the joke, but take that time to be thankful to Jesus, Scott. Let's take that time, Robin, to be thankful to Jesus for all his goodness and mercy in our lives. Let's take that time, 
Uncle Bruce. Let's take that time, Ryan. Let's take that time, Johnny. Okay? Let's take that time, uh, Matthew, to, to be thankful. So let's do that. Let's replace, right? Verse 4, North, should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So let's spend time being thankful to Jesus. Let's spend time giving him thanks in place. Let's substitute, substitute, right? Our coarse, crass, obscene, sexually impure jokes with saying, thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for your blessings and mercy and favor on our lives, right? It's kind of a nice swap, right? Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Verse five. For of this you can be sure. No, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What does this mean? For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Well, all of us, Everyone that's ever lived on earth has at one time or another been, been guilty of being immoral or impure or, or desiring being greedy, you know, for money, right? All of us have at times had these mistakes, okay? None of us have been perfect. We're all sinful. What Paul is saying here is if you have a lifestyle today of just living in consistent gross immorality, you're living in adultery, you're living in fornication, you're sleeping around with everybody, you have no grief, you have no conviction, you live an immoral, impure, and greedy life, all you care about is yourself and having more money for yourself, and you literally almost do nothing for others, um, then you're deceived in thinking that you're genuinely saved, okay? Because, again, now we're not saying, this is not for people who, you know, who may struggle with these things at times, who may fall into them, and they're convicted about it. They're grieved about it, and they repent. That's not what this is saying. This is the person who has a lifestyle of living in, these, in this sinful way with just reckless abandon, with no grief, with no conviction, not only with no desire to stop, but with a desire to do it more. Paul says, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater right? This is idolatry. It's like you idolize yourself in just your self-fulfillment in whatever the sinful behavior is, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Uh, you know, someone who is genuinely saved, someone who has Jesus Christ living inside of them, someone who has spiritual life, eternal life, and the Holy Spirit living in them. Again, we're not perfect. We certainly make mistakes and even these mistakes, but there should be a conviction. There should be a grief and a desire to not live in this way. So again, check your heart. Again, you may fall into these things occasionally or have, but if you've repented, if you've come out of it, if you're trying to not live in this way, well then yes, you are a Christian and you will have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. But if there's no conviction, it's just reckless abandon, then you need to go back to the foot of the cross and receive Christ as Savior Again, for real, right? Just go back and receive Jesus. John 1, 12, yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, right? All right, verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So again, um, if an individual has a, a complete lifestyle of living in sexual immorality, in impurity, and in greed, with no regret, no grief, no desire to stop, no care at all. All you care about is the pleasure that you get and you only want more, right? Let no one deceive you with empty words. Verse seven, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And what disobedient means here, it's disobedient to believe what the Bible's commanded you to believe and disobedient to do and obey and live in the way the Bible has commanded you to live. We were talking about in, the, in, uh, in Bible study this morning, right, Stephen? That, uh, you know, the scripture commands us 
not only what to do and how to live, but it it commands us what to believe. Okay, we have in this Bible, we have in this manual, the word of God that tells us everything we're to believe about our Heavenly Father, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. It has the word of God, the gospel of God, that our God, the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, became a human man for us all, lived a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we never could have lived, then died a torturous death on the cross that we should have died, and then was raised from the dead, and that by receiving him, we'd have forgiveness of our sins, and we would escape an eternity in hell paying for our own sins, right? The reason someone is in hell is because they refuse the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus Christ. All human beings are sinful, right? Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And we're justified. We're declared not guilty of sin, right? Verse 24, right? Romans 3, when we receive Christ, right? All of us know that we're sinful, okay? It's Acts 10.13, right? Um, by believing in Jesus, you know, you receive the forgiveness of your sins, right? Let me just go ahead and turn there. It's Acts 10, verse 13 says, well, I guess that's, let me see here, 10, 13. No, I guess I had the wrong verse in mind there. Um, It's, uh, let me see. I'm looking for it here. Um, It's where Peter is speaking to Cornelius. Um, It's verse 43. I'm sorry. Acts 10, 43. All the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I'm sorry, it's Acts 10, 43. Uh, I don't know why I saw, I thought uh, 13, forgive me. Okay, Acts 10, 43. All the prophets testify about him, Jesus, and Peter saying that, that the whole Old Testament, the men of God in the Old Testament testified about Jesus, that everyone believe, who believes in him who's received Jesus, who's trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the uh, the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name, right? Um, And so when it says God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, back to Ephesians 5, verse 6, um, you know, the first way we're disobedient is is to not believe what the Bible say says. You know, it's a it's a tremendous hubris. I mean, it's it's an arrogance and a conceit to to to, to come out and say you don't believe the Bible is the height of arrogance. Again, it's it's hubris. It, you you cannot be more arrogant and conceited than to say. You don't believe what the Bible says. The Bible claims to be the word of God. The the Bible, the holy scriptures are the word of the living God. Can you see that? How is we as humans, when we reject what the Bible says, may, when we decide that we're not going to believe what the Bible says, can you see the absurdity of that? So when it says the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient, the first way we disobey is to not follow the command to believe what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are all sinful. We've all done wrong. Do you believe that? The Bible says we're hopeless, helpless, desperate, headed to hell. Do you believe that? The Bible says that God the Son, Jesus, became a human man, lived a perfect life for us, died a perfect death for us, and rose from the dead. And that if you would receive him as your savior, you'd be forgiven of your sins. Spend eternity in heaven with your heavenly father. 
and be delivered from an eternity in hell, paying for your sins yourself. Do you believe that? Or are you disobedient? The wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. They're first disobedient in their rejection, their unwillingness to believe the scriptures, the gospel, the word of God. And then because they don't believe it, they don't live as the Bible tells them to live. And it says, because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Listen, we're not trying to be intolerant here. This is the greatest love we can give is to, is to share the truth so that God's wrath does not come on anyone, right? God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So again, if there's areas in your life where you're not believing the word of God, then simply humble yourself. Go before Jesus and repent. And if there's areas where you're not living in line with Christ, I have to do this almost daily. You just go before Jesus and repent. Lord, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, I do believe your word, and I ask you to help my unbelief, Lord. And I, and I ask you to forgive me, Lord, where I've been living in a way that's not pleasing to you. Help me, Lord Jesus. Verse 7, therefore, do not be partners with them. Again, anyone that's claiming to be a believer in Jesus Christ, okay, in living in this way or claiming, you know, or outright states they don't believe the Bible and that they're just living in a completely sinful, unrepentant way with no conviction or no care, don't partner with them, okay? He's not talking about, now, he's not talking about non-Christians who, you know, who don't know any better, okay? This is a person who's claiming to be a believer, but still rejecting the scriptures and has no desire to live for Christ whatsoever, right? Verse 7, therefore, do not be partners with them. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. There was a time that every one of us, before we received Christ, were living in darkness, in spiritual darkness. We didn't know anything, right? Until you receive Christ, until you become light in the Lord, until you become a child of your heavenly Father by receiving Jesus, you're in utter and complete darkness. You can't see anything. You can't understand anything. You're just walking around aimless with no conception, no idea of who God is whatsoever. Just banging into everything. Just, just no idea about anything. Infinite, right? Not able to perform anything in any manner in any way that has anything to do with God outside of Christ. And this is how all of us were until we genuinely received Christ as our Lord and Savior, knowing our desperate hope and need for him, right? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. When you receive Christ, you receive spiritual life and the lights come on and all this begins to make sense, right? Live as children of light, okay? So again, since we were once darkness and we all lived in these worldly ways, now that we're children of light, right? Um, you know, the, the first John says, God is light. In him is no darkness at all, right? We're supposed to live as children of light, right? Verse nine, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's in contrast to sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Don't live in those. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, Corinne, righteousness, and truth. And this ought to be our lifestyle, right? Now, we're not saved by doing any of this, May, but we ought to have a lifestyle in all goodness, Peyton, and righteousness, and in truth. You ought to be convicted and, and have, a again, a daily walk with Jesus that consists in, in goodness, just overall, you know, overall good morality and kindness and thoughtfulness, right? Righteousness, taking the time to think about what's right, right, Lawrence? So you can do what's right simply because it's right. Righteousness, right? And truth, right? We ought to have a lifestyle of telling the truth, right? And repenting, Lord, uh, and repenting to the Lord for areas where we haven't been truthful. Verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. Those are interesting seven words, right? Ephesians 5, verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. Do you have a lifestyle, Kristen? Do you have a lifestyle of finding out what pleases the Lord? How many times a day do you think about being pleasing to the Lord? Ephesians 5, verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. We need to search it out, right? Proverbs 25, 2. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to 
Search it out. How much time do you spend searching out what's pleasing to the Lord, right? In every situation in our lives we're in, we ought to look to be to do something what's pleasing to the Lord. The more time you spend in the Bible, the more you'll convict it and want to please the Lord, right? Let's say you're walking into Starbucks today, right? And you know, you you get out of your car and you start walking and right there in front of you, bam, empty Starbucks cup right there on the ground. You just walk right by it. Why not just pick it up as you're walking by? Doesn't take any time at all. It takes one second. Bend down, pick it up and put it in a trash can. You know, that's pleasing to the Lord. You brought order to disorder, right? Find out what pleases the Lord. When you're thoughtful, when you're selfless, when you're other-centered, when you're Christ-centered, right? All these things are pleasing to the Lord. We ought to be looking throughout our day for ways to be pleasing to him. Now, he loves us unconditionally, right? Just like we love our children, right? Whether No matter what their behavior, we love our children unconditionally and our father loves us unconditionally. But we are not unconditionally pleased with our children, right? And our Heavenly Father is not pleased with us when we're not living in ways and speaking in ways that are pleasing to him. No more than we are when our children are acting in ways that are foolish, right? Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. What does he mean? He doesn't mean go out and and gossip and talk about what everyone's doing wrong. That's not what he means here. He's saying debunk them, right? Jose made the good phrase today, to to debunk them, just to, to in general, to speak about how foolish it is to live in the fruitless deeds of darkness, right? And to darkness, he just means in in a worldly, unbiblical, sinful way, right? Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, meaning just just, just speak about them, not about the person that's doing them individually, but just, you know, just, just point out that the Bible teaches that the fruitless deeds of darkness will, are, are only going to lead to our own personal harm and difficulty and the harm of others, right? So we debunk them, right? I understand that the, the, the deeds of darkness and sexual immorality, impurity, greed, all these things can seem like they benefit us. But in the end, they only hurt us. They only harm us and harm others, right? So it's our job just to to speak against worldly living, not against individual people. Certainly, it's our job as Christians to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we don't expose them. We don't go around telling everybody else where other people are falling in sin. That's called gossip, okay? We ought not tell anyone that. We ought not tell our wives that. We certainly ought not tell our children that, right? It's not our job to expose people, okay? Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, Jesus famously said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, right? When you make mistakes, right? When you, when you, when you do sinful things, you don't want people coming and telling the whole world about the mistakes you've made, right? But in general, of course, we want to be ministering to our brothers and sisters in Christ and privately encouraging them and building them up and exhorting them to live a holy life. And as I said, we want to we want to continually expose that living in sin and in worldliness in general is not the right path, and it's not the way that we will grow in our relationship with Christ, and it's only a way to live, live in futility and foolishness and ultimate harm to ourselves and others, right? Verse 12, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And as Stephen said today, he's already mentioned some pretty bad things. But, you know, here he says, for it is shameful even to mention. He's not even going to mention some of the things that can be done. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now, again, remember, all of us have lived in sin until we came to know Christ. In, in the Ephesians here, we're all adult converts, Right. Um, you know, I didn't become a Christian until I was, you know, like uh, 27, 28 years old and had lived a very worldly life up until that time. Right. Um, and so it's again, so there's no we're not condemning, but simply said when we're not in Christ. Right. And we live in the world and all we do is spend our life looking for worldly pleasures. Right. Using using our money, our time and our talents just to fulfill the lusts of our eyes, the lusts of our flesh, right? 
Um, wow. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, right? When you come into Jesus and when you receive the light, and if you're walking in the light as a Christian, we can see all these worldly things for the foolishness that they are. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Verse 14, for it is light that makes everything visible. Right? So again, when you're, when you're not only have received Christ, but when you're walking awake in the light of Christ, we see all these things for what they are. We're convicted of them and we labor to not live in just the foolishness of sinful, worldly darkness, right? Ungodly ways. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's verse 14. This is why it is said, and some say this may, be a, may have been a hymn in Paul's time, um, it may have been a saying, it may have been a song, right? Um, a worship song. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The, the majority of us as Christians, right, the vast majority of Christians throughout the world that are Christians in name, but really spend very little effort in walking with Christ, that are growing Christ, it's as if they're asleep, right? So, so when you're actually physically asleep, Okay. You can be, you know, you can be a Christian and still be asleep, and the most Christians are, and still just walking around all day, right? But you're walking around and you're still in a spiritual sleep, right? Your eyes are closed, right? Your spiritual eyes are closed. Now, when you close your eyes, if you just close your eyes right now, go ahead, close your eyes. Do it. Close your eyes. I know it's hard. Close your eyes. All right. So your eyes are closed. You see how it's dark? My eyes are closed. It's dark. I can't see anything, right? When you close your eyes, it's dark. Okay, open your eyes, okay? So now that my eyes are open, I can see the light, right? So as Christians, we want to walk around in the light. And then to do that, we have to have our eyes open, okay? We have to get out of this spiritual slumber where we don't see anything, we don't understand anything, and we're just passing the days, right? Caught up in the world, the things of the world, the ways of the world, and the people of the world, okay? So again, this is for Christians now. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As I said, you can, uh, you know, you can be, you can be walking around while you're sleeping. Isn't it called sleepwalking, right? And again, that's the state of the majority of Christians or people that believe themselves to be Christians today. We need to wake up, Peyton. Right, Ian? We need to wake up. We need to, to open our eyes and live in a circumspect, circumspect Christ-centered right way. Um, we need to live as if we're awake, not just, uh, just sleepwalking everywhere we go. And if we do this, again, we'll, we'll walk with Christ. But I'll say it again, when you close your eyes, all you see is darkness. And so we have to live our lives as Christians, right, Uncle Dennis, with our, with our eyes open. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It's a strong exhortation. In light of everything he just said, be very careful, Okay. We all could be a little more careful how we live. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Are you looking to continue to live in a way that's wise? Living in a way that's wise is living according to the word of God, Jim Jr. It's, it's living according to your Bible faith. It's reading and studying the scriptures. In living your life according to the scriptures, Leah, right? Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Again, I, it's one thing to be careful, but it's another thing to be very careful. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We were talking about in Bible study this morning. It's a hard word. The days are evil. It's hard just to classify our days, our life here on earth, as evil. But yes, we do live in a world full of sin, 
full of evil, contrary to the word of God. We have an enemy to the, of the devil. There are demons, demonic forces that are all evil and are prompting the world and are tempting us as Christians to live at, in an evil way. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That's a hard thing, right? To making the most of every opportunity. Uh, you know, um, Tom made the point today, um, the senior elder of our ministry, he made the point that, again, um, uh, you know, an opportunity just, uh, you know, it implies a shelf life, right? It's not always always there. Each of us have opportunities throughout our day, opportunities to live as wise, not as unwise, to live not as unwise, but as wise. We have opportunities. Um, when we're dealing with other people, we have opportunities, right? To make the most of any opportunity. If you don't have Jesus in it, you didn't make the most of every opportunity. And that's just, that's just a biblical reality. Okay, when it says making the most of every opportunity, if we didn't make Jesus a part of the opportunity, we didn't make the most of it, whatever it is. Right. Um, we want to invite Jesus personally into into all of our daily activities. Right. And I'm not saying in a religious way. Right. But just in a relational way, we want to to move and groove. Right. And, and be like Jesus. Right. Bam. Bam. Therefore, do not be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the Lord's will is, okay? Um, actually, we'll stop there at what, 16, right? Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And since I'll pick up with verse 17 next time, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Um, again, we... Uh, we do want to understand not only what's pleasing to him, but we want to grow to understand what his will is. And nowhere will we do that. Nowhere will we be benefited. Nowhere will we grow to know what his will is as like when we spend time in our Bible, right? Spending time in prayer, inviting Jesus into the situation and getting wise and godly counsel from others who you know that are walking as wise and not as unwise, men and women, um, getting help, right, to know what the Lord's will is in a situation. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace, your incredible love in our lives. Father, I ask you to wake us up, Lord. Wake me up. Wake us up, Lord, where we're sleepwalking, Lord, Lord Jesus, so that you will shine on us and that we'll be open and that we'll have you know, we'll have an understanding and we'll have life in you, Lord. And I do ask you to help us to be careful how we live, Father, not as unwise, but as wise, Lord. Father, I do ask you to help us to, to, to imitate Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us to imitate you, that we might live a life that's, that's pleasing to you. Forgive us where we just have indulged in improper joking, Lord. I ask you to cleanse us of unrighteousness, Lord. Um, and Father, we, uh, we do ask you to help us just to repent of, of living in any and all areas of, uh, of darkness, Father, I do ask you to help us to just to live our lives, Lord, to live a life of love. Just Jesus, just as Christ loved us, just as you loved us, Jesus, and gave yourself up for us. Help us, Lord, to, to be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to you as we increasingly walk in this Christ-like love. Father, we love you and bless you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. Give us eyes that see Jesus, we pray, and ears that hear him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.